Thank you. What a tremendous uh, um, service already to be part of as we celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And in the next few minutes, I just want to share something from God's Word, the Bible, that hopefully encourages. If you're not a believer, you're on a journey of faith, then hopefully this uh, message this morning as we prayed over it will minister to you. And it may be that as a Christian you've sat in many, many Easter services I was just praying this morning, friends, and for me, that journey gets richer and deeper and stronger year by year. Uh, not that, as Christian said earlier, we just uh, consign this to one day of the, of, the, um, of the year. But the reality of just taking a few moments to see again that this is at the very foundation, the very core of our Christian truth. And then to have the confidence to live, out in, live, live it out in the days ahead is, is really wonderful. So, um, we'll come to the word in a moment, and just as I'm giving a little preamble, maybe you'd like to go to the opening verses of Romans chapter 1, because I'm going to read a few verses. But just before I do that, um, just to say that on the resource table downstairs, which is the table to your right as you go out, please have a look afterwards. There's lots of information with regard to Arena Church on that table. Um, There'll be some uh, brochures with regard to the Open Doors ministry. Open Doors is a very credible ministry that serves the persecuted church worldwide. worldwide. And uh, the reality is that this morning, friends, there are millions of people across the world whose basic human rights are infringed simply for believing in the same Jesus as we do. And uh, we need to pray for them, and we need to stand with them. And uh, Kath Richardson uh, has got a particular heart for that, and uh, Kath has ordered these brochures, and inside there's lots of information that will help you pray. You see, we need to pray informatively. It's okay praying for the world, But maybe as you read this, you'll get a real passion for a couple of nations and really begin to pray. And I'm always always inspired by this because in the 80s, Sharon and me were pastoring a church in Oxford. And we had a lady in the church called Pat, Pat Band. And she used to sort of chafe me a bit about praying for the the communist church. And of course, uh, prior to 1989, the, the communist church was very different. And the world was very different to what we know it today. She'd be one of these people that would be a divine irritation in the church. Um, in the sense that she always wanted to pray for the communist church. And, of course, we couldn't pray all the time, but she kept me on track. And I have to confess there were times, friends, when I used to look at Eastern Europe and think, well, things are never going to change there. Until one day I turned the TV on and there was a guy stood on top of the Berlin Wall knocking it down. And in 1989, things changed forever. There are a number of people around this room that have had the privilege of traveling to Eastern Europe on many occasions since. And I found a vibrant, growing church that was growing uh, when it was oppressed and when it was difficult and has sprung out into new expressions of mission and joy and gladness. And I'm thankful for people like Pat Band that kept irritating me to pray for the communist world at that particular time. And Kath, you are not in irritation. And if I've given any impression, then that is not the case. But Kath loves, the, loves to pray for the persecuted church. And she keeps us on track, and these brochures will help us. So I encourage you to take one afterwards, and if you've got any further questions, please talk to Cash. She'll be glad to help you. So Romans chapter 1 and verse 1 says this, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through the prophets to the Holy Scriptures, in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, And who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's verse 4 that I want just to 
spend a few moments on this morning. And as I do so, we're bringing to a conclusion our sort of series that has seen us see the last rites of winter and come into spring. And of course, the last rites of winter had their final hurrah on Wednesday as we woke up and there was lots of snow around. And uh, I think the children wanted it to stay for a long time and the adults were pretty glad that it moved on quickly. But here we are, friends. We've been looking over a number of weeks at this wonderful theme of changeless values in a changing world. We've highlighted, sometimes through humor, that there are huge changes taking place in our world and in our society. Even in recent years, we've seen technological advance that at times leaves us breathless. At least it does me. And when we feel that we're making progress, there's always new challenges on the way. As someone said with some irony, change is here to stay. And it really is in the church as well. And of course, as I alluded to in the first message of this series around about six weeks ago, the challenge of change is particular and peculiar to the Christian church. You see, we recognize that our faith is rooted in heritage and history. Today we're celebrating the historical fact that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, rose from the dead on the third day. But here's the truth, friends. Sadly, at times, and I'll come back to this in a, mom- in a moment, very often the church gives the impression that he is living defined by its history. And the challenge for us is that we also, without compromising in any way those things that we hold dear, have a relevancy to the life in which we live, 2012, 21st century UK and the world. And if I can say with some humility, friends, that's the course that Arena Church has committed itself to. We sometimes get it wrong. We're sometimes not as sharp as we'd like to be. But we do want to be a church that's rooted in the historic truths of Jesus Christ and the word of God. And believe with a passion that it's got a relevancy to every man and woman, boy and girl across this area and across our nation and across the nations of the earth today. We looked at the changeless value of the word of God, the Bible. We saw that it brings a ground into our lives. We we saw that it establishes an ethic. And in this complex world in which we live morally and socially, the Bible's got something to say on all of those issues. We saw that it generates growth in us. Christian brought to us that great message about the changeless value of the church. He reminded us that, that this church is a community of believers. And it really is. I read just this week that somebody that says that they're a member of God's family but are disconnected from the local church, are actually an orphan. The reality is, friends, that when we became believers, God brought us to community. It's his his intention that we find a local church to commit to, to pray with, and to support and to serve. serve. I've heard, you know, if if I had five pounds for every time somebody said to me, I don't need to be a, 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 I don't need to go to church to be a Christian, I'd be a wealthy man. The reality is, to some degree, it's true, but it's not fully true. You see, the fact is that when you're a Christian, why wouldn't you want to pitch up with a community of believers that love and encourage and support and strengthen and pray through the good times and through the difficult times? He reminded us that there's a cause to live for and that this church is full of color. Ephesians 3, verse 10 and 11, it says that God has declared that through the church, the many varied colors of God's wisdom will be displayed to the principalities and powers according to his eternal purpose. Friends, the church is not irrelevant. The church often gets parodied and ridiculed. But the most incredible instrument in God's hands in the earth today is the church of Jesus Christ. We remind ourselves of the changeless value of the power of love on Mother's Day. 
And we saw the importance of it and the essence of it. And we saw also that it always endures, it always prevails. There are things that we don't fully understand. We look through a glass darkly. But love, friends, causes us to endure and know the victory in Jesus Christ. Julie brought us the changeless value of the power of the good news of Jesus Christ. And on Friday, in that wonderful reflective time here in church, Christian reminded us again of the changeless value of the power of the cross. And this morning, I want to draw all those strands together by reminding us on Easter Sunday, on resurrection morn, of the changeless value of resurrection risen life. You see, it's my privilege to preach this morning, and I really didn't think, have to think hard about the subject. You know, sometimes preachers fall into the trap of thinking, I'll come up with something different for Easter Sunday. You don't need to. Because the greatest message of all, friends, is that Jesus Christ is alive. So verse 4 again says these words, And who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power by the resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. As I was preparing the message this week, I, I felt a particular poignancy regarding mention this year. Because as some of you know, and Joan Pottington completely reduced my credibility to rubble last week, uh, we had the joy of going to Israel as the national leadership team at the end of January. And on the final Saturday of that particular six-day trip, we were greeted with a beautiful sun-kissed Jerusalem morning, and our first visit was to the Garden of the Tomb. We were led around that beautiful small garden where the guide pointed across to the alternative site of Jesus' crucifixion, the place of the skull. And then down to the far side of the garden, we were confronted with the tomb. No longer a stone rolled over it, the stone at the side of it. And there on top of the stone, that wonderful text from the Gospels, he is not here, he is risen. We had a few moments to step inside and I I just said to myself, this is why I do what I do. This this is why I believe what I believe. This is why I preach what I preach. This is why, if I can say it, friends, this morning, I've sacrificed. This is why I've put God first. This is why I've gone the extra mile because my saviour is no longer here. He's risen from the dead. He's conquered death, hell and the grave and he has given us a glorious hope in this world and for all eternity. I've got the pictures to prove it. And uh, it was just a glorious morning. During that time, we, we, we gathered together with our wives. We worshipped the Lord in the open air. We sang some songs to God. The, 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 the team that, that looked after that garden kindly provided us with bread and wine. And we brought bread together. Uh, interestingly, we had two students just with us on that day. One American from San Diego and one Chinese. And... The Chinese student had become a Christian about six months before. And she heard people worshipping in other tongues, in other languages, as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance as we praised God. And she said to John, she says, I want that as well. And later on that day, John and Andrew prayed for this Chinese student at the back of the bus as we were journeying to the next destination. And she was gloriously filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke with other tongues. What a day. What a day. And as I was just journeying around the garden, I saw this plaque in a slightly different translation. Romans 1, verse 4. It said this, Jesus Christ declared with power to be the Son of God by the resurrection from the dead. You see, what defines Jesus as different from any other religion, religious leader has ever lived, friends, is he's not dead. He's risen. He's alive. 
Our Saviour lives forevermore, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And we realise, friends, as we read the scriptures, that the despondency and the despair of the early believers was also changed. As we saw on the video clip at the beginning, because hope began to arise afresh, as Jesus appeared to them and showed himself alive by many convincing, infallible proofs. And since that time, someone has said that the Christian church has had the resurrection written all over it. At least it should have done, because without the resurrection, thank God for the death, but without the resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15 makes it very, very clear that we would have been absolutely wasting our time this morning. Our faith would have been in vain. Our preaching would have been in vain. Everything that we hoped for would have been in vain if it had just stopped at the cross. We're on the third day. He rose. Simply this morning, I just want to give you three things that I think flow out of Jesus conquering death and being the one that rose from the dead. The first is, and we've heard the word mentioned already this morning, celebration. Celebration. One Bible commentator made this observation. He said, one of the weaknesses of the church of Jesus Christ is that it doesn't make enough of the living Jesus. It caused one person to say with some irony, when they were asked why they didn't go to church anymore, to reply, I've already been. Think about it. And I want to say, friends, if this is your first time in church this morning, we'd like you to come again. More than that, we'd like you to be so impacted by the presence of the living Jesus today that you won't want to do anything else but come again. But people have been to church and voted by the very essence of church, not making enough of the living Jesus never to go again. Sadly, the stereotype of church sticks in many people's minds, and it's something like this. Dull, friendless, joyless, cold, uninspiring. Friends, how could it possibly come to this when resurrection life should speak of vitality and victory of the Christian community that involves celebration. I trust you've got a feel of that this morning. Now it's April. April means lots of things. Easter can sometimes be in March, but often in Easter, uh, often in, in April. But April brings to a conclusion the football season. And ladies, if you if you get a little bit excited about that, then uh, then cheer up because we've got the Euro 2012s in a few weeks. So, so uh, but here's what happens. I don't know about you, but the TV cameras seem, as the season gets progressively towards the end, more and more interested in those oversized blokes in undersized replica, replica shirts that are in the crowds. We have grown men crying. It'll be on Sky Sports over the next few weeks. And after yesterday, there could be a few people here going that way, but we won't go there. Crying because their team got relegated. Guys, get a grip. It's not that bad. But we also have people celebrating. A goal goes in and the camera turns to the crowds and they're jumping around like maniacs, jumping over one another, kissing people they've never met before. There's a great sense of celebration. I don't know whether any of you have ever sort of, uh, sort of listened to, uh, to the, the, the person that, that from, from South America, the South American commentator, when they score a goal. I won't try and replicate it this morning. But goal goes on. Goal! 
one longer. <laughs> you get excited. And I know some of you say, you know, 22 blokes with a bag of wind. It's, it's a bit more than that, you know, but... Celebrating. I was looking at our partnership document yesterday. This is a articulated expression of of, um, of Arena Church. If you want, if you want to know what Arena Church is about, then read, read this. It's not defined by a few months or even a year, but it's defined by a journey. And one of the things that's right at the very heart of Arena Church is passion. And he says this in the passion paragraphs of our partnership document. He says a commitment. To celebrating the greatness of Jesus Christ in all circumstances with wholehearted worship in our meetings. Not just defined by our meetings because it goes on to say, and our everyday lives. There's an old song that says, celebrate Jesus, celebrate. He is risen. Come on and celebrate the resurrection of the Lord. Not talking about a, a shallow triumphalism, friends. I'm talking about... The reality this morning of believers that have come into a relationship with the living God and unashamedly and unabashedly celebrate Jesus. Here's what the Bible says about celebrating. It talks about the Christian community praising and singing and shouting and clapping and dancing and blessing and worshipping and exalting. It talks about making music unto the Lord. All those things we've done this morning and the enemy's done this over the church. People felt they've got to go into church like this. Well, would you come again? I always, I always laugh at God's sense of humor because some of those sorts of churches have got a stone floor. And so however much you do this, it goes, choo, 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 choo. you can't do it. So somehow, friends, the enemy of our souls has turned the church into a library. And by the way, libraries aren't very quiet nowadays. I don't know whether you've been recently. But God's called us to celebrate. And uh, even in this church, even in recent times, we've gone through some difficult times, but we're going to still celebrate the goodness of God. It's an amazing thing, friends, to be able to come together and to celebrate. Why do we do it? Because Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. If you say this morning, well, I'm in church and didn't expect them guitars and didn't expect a choir and didn't expect the music to be like it was. It's because we're committed to celebrating. It's because we're committed to living in the power of the risen Jesus and giving him everything back that he deserves. The second thing is certainty. John Stott recently, deceased from this world, said Christianity is in its very essence a resurrection religion. Resurrection lies at its very heart. Why did the early church leaders, friends, as I've already mentioned, on occasions, fearful and denying and doubtful and read the gospel stories to confirm it. Come to a place of passion and vigor and, and uh, preaching of the good news. Despite being vilified, despite being imprisoned, despite being exiled. And for most of them to face martyrdom, they did it with a sense of certainty in their allegiance to Jesus, their savior, who had given his life for them. There have been many people, of course, that have tried to dissuade us from the certainty of the resurrection. One of the classic books that was written in the 20th century in 1930 was a book 
called Who Moved the Stone by Frank Morrison. He was an American lawyer. And he set out with a forensic mind to disprove the resurrection of Jesus. And he came out the other side a committed believer and wrote a book that's on many preachers' bookshelves. A little more uh, modern than that is a, is a man called Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel was a legal journalist, award-winning legal journalist for the Chicago Tribune. Set out on the same course to bring his legal mind to disprove the resurrection of Jesus. And he wrote a great book called The Case for Christ that does exactly the opposite. And Lee today has left his profession of journalism to be a committed sharer of the good news of Jesus and has influenced many, many people across North America, particularly with the power of his testimony. Someone says that facts are stubborn things, and they really are. See, you can tell your mum and dad that you've cleaned your bedroom, but if the facts say different, it can prove stubborn things. And here's two or three things that I'm just going to mention that maybe you've heard before. I'm not going to spend any time on them this morning, but simply just say that the empty tomb is a stubborn fact, friends. If you don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus this morning, well, how about somebody producing the body? And nobody ever did. The stubborn fact is that Jesus showed himself alive. Acts 1.3 says, by many infallible convincing proofs. He appeared to ones and twos, but in Corinthians 15, he tells us that on one occasion, he appeared to 500 people. These people, friends, did not give their life for an illusion. They weren't deceived. They weren't mentally deranged. They were confronted with the living reality of Jesus Christ, the Lord of all. Think about the fact of testimony and personal experience. I have people around Arena Church sometimes say, Phil, I'm a little worried about sharing my faith because I can't remember all the Bible verses and my head sort of goes all misty when I'm trying to share. Here's how you can share your faith. This is what you were before a Christian. This is what happened when you gave your life to Jesus. And this is what you are now. That's compelling because it speaks of change. And all across this room, friends, in the 21st century, we've got people who are here who were confronted with the risen nature of Jesus in all that he means and are now living for him. Share the story. Of course, friends, a stubborn fact is the growing church around the world. There are conservatively well over one billion people around the earth today, friends, well over, that will celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Sometimes when I I get up in the morning, I, I think about all those people in the South Sea Islands who... 12, 14 hours before me, began to worship the Lord. Tonga, Fiji, Solomon Isles, Samoa, across Australasia, and then through, through Asia, to that political cocktail called the Middle East, and then through the most barren part of the world spiritually at this particular time, Eastern and Western Europe. But people, even in those sometimes desperate situations spiritually, that are getting up this morning, friends, to do exactly as us. And then across the Atlantic to the Americas, right to the West Coast. Friends, all across today, millions and millions and millions and millions of people belonging to the growing church of Jesus Christ saying, I believe that God died for me in Jesus. and I believe he rose the third day. And at the heart of this message, friends, is a passion to be followers of the Lord's. We live in a world of shifting uncertainties. We live in a world where many people at times come to us and say, I I wish I could find out what was going to happen in the future. And of course, some people look for those answers in all the wrong places. I want to say today that if we will trust in the Lord with all our heart, he will direct our paths. 
I want to say today, friends, that if you commit yourself right to the center of God's purpose, there's no more secure place to be in an insecure world than in the will and purpose of God. Does that mean at times that it's easy? No. Does it mean at times that it won't cause you to take a goal? No. Does it mean at times that you're not going to take steps of faith? No. But it's a wonderful place to be. And God has called us to a place of certainty. Arrogance? No, we want none of it. Assurance? Yes. Conceit? No. Confidence? Yes. The risen Jesus has arisen. He brings us to a place of celebration. He brings us to a place of certainty. And thirdly, friends, he brings us to a place, if we'll let him, of commitment. We have renewed our passion for discipleship in this church. Not just to be believers, but to be devoted Christ followers. To be people who would deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow the Lord. Not by trying to get to him, as Christian reminded us the other night, not by through good works, not by self-effort, but out of a huge sense of response to all that God has done for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And friends, the call is on every one of us today. I was interested to read this week that Greg Searle is at 40 years of age, uh, trying to get back into the rowing eight for the 2012 Olympics that, of course, take place in our nation later this year. You may think, so what? Well, 40 for a, a, an oarsman is like being 80. It's, it's very, very old. And 20 years ago in Barcelona, 1992, he won the Coxless Pairs with his brother, Johnny. And so to go into retirement, to come out of retirement, to put your body through what's necessary to get fit again at 40 to row in a crew is just a huge challenge. The story goes that when they won the gold, and they won the gold by an air's breath in 92, the cock shouted out just a few meters from the line these words. If not now, when? If not you, who? And this Easter morning, friends, I I make an impassioned call across Arena Church to say that God wants our commitment. I I think one of the frustrations at times in 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 Christian ministry is that sometimes we can give pushback to the commitment that God has called us to. And the challenge this morning, I think, booms from heaven. And he says these words, in the light of Jesus' death, but also his glorious risen life, if not now, when? If not you, who? See, God's not called us just to be believers. He's called us to be followers. And uh, I picked up this article that was written just a few weeks ago in the Sunday Times by Matthew Paris, not a believer, in fact, an atheist. And uh, Paris is an ex-conservative MP. He's now the sketch writer for the Times. And uh, he, um, he was getting involved in the debate around the marriage issues that we've seen across our nation in recent times. But interestingly, he, he began to, in the article, make a call for believers to really be Believers, let me read an extract to you. You see, he said, as an unbeliever, I wish to complain on behalf of serious religious faith, Christian faith. Faith is being defended by the wrong people in the wrong way. As an unbeliever, my sympathies are with the fundamentalists. Now, it's a word that's been sort of used in all sorts of ways. But if I can use it, people that really believe the Bible. My sympathies are with the fundamentalists. They seem to me to represent the source, the roots, and the essential energy of their faith. They go back to basics. 
He went on to quote C.S. Lewis, a, a man that had an incredible journey, a great author that came to faith in Jesus. And uh, Lewis says these words. Does it capture what Jesus Christ re- requires? And he's speaking, he's speaking regarding people that claim to be followers of Jesus, but actually haven't put real commitment in place. And so he speaks against that sort of church and says, does it capture what Jesus Christ asks, requires, commands of his followers? One of the reasons we can be pretty sure that Jesus actually existed is that if he had not, the church would never have been invented. He stands so passionately, resolutely and conveniently against everything that established religion stands for. Continuity? No. Tradition? No. Christ has nothing to do with stability. He comes to break up, to smash routines, to cast aside the human superstructures, to teach abandonment of earthly concerns and a throwing of ourselves upon God's mercy. Jesus came to challenge precisely what today's unbelieving believers in belief so prize in what they presume to be their faith. And I want to say, friends, today that God's not just called us to church. He's not called us to churchianity. He's not called us to just go through the religious motions. He's called us to be passionate, devoted, devoted followers of Jesus. Paris went on to conclude, he says, if I seriously suspected a faith might be true, I would devote the rest of my life to finding it. Incredible. An atheist. And as we conclude this morning, friends, I want to stir your heart again to be encouraged to worship the God who loves us and gave himself for us. I want you to be encouraged this morning to work with all your might in God's service. Again, I was thinking this morning of people across our church, and for me it's one of the most gratifying journeys that you can watch. Somebody that comes to Jesus and then finds their expression of faith working out in service. And part of our value in Arena Church is that we're committed to team, we're committed to serving God. And I thought about mentioning some names and then I thought no I won't because I'll miss somebody out but right across this church building this morning there are people even in recent years that have given their life to Jesus but they haven't just stopped there they've given their life to a committed following of Jesus and around the life of this church they're serving some of them will serve you this morning in teas and coffees some of them will serve you at the door some of them will serve this week unobtrusively quietly nobody knowing what's going off Tables will be shifted, chairs will be moved, food bank will be served, people will be ministered to by the score. From people that have come to a place of not knowing Jesus to a place of committed service. It's the calling on us all. And we're committed, friends, this morning to also witnessing to God's world. Mark 16, in the aftermath of the resurrection, go into all the world. And if we really believe this, then God will really help us and touch us in an amazing way. It was Archbishop George Carey who served our nation for a number of years in that role that says that belief in the resurrection is not an appendage, an extra to the Christian faith. It is the Christian faith. I close, friends, with a verse that I came across. It says these words. It says, if Easter be not true then faith must mount on broken wing 
to open no more immortal spring, then life must lose its mighty urge. Life prove a phantom and a dirge if Easter be not true. Thank God, friends. This morning, Easter's true. Christ died, he was buried, and he rose the third day. Our Savior lives, and he lives forevermore. Because he lives, we shall live also. If you've never taken that step of faith in Jesus, what a day to do it. What a day to commence the journey of following the Lord Jesus. If for some reason you've been disconnected, you've been hurt, you've been pained, you've been distracted, what a day to come again. And freshly say, Jesus, I'll follow you. For those of us around Arena Church that would put Jesus first in our lives, what a day to say, God, you've got my commitment afresh. I'm totally given to you. What a day for us as friends as church to continue to make something great of Jesus Christ. To not give people an excuse to come once, but to bring celebration of all that God's done for us. To live with a sense of certainty in our lives. Rooted in all that Jesus has done. And to come again with a fresh sense of commitment. You see, friends, in everything that we've talked about over the last few weeks, this particular truth undergirds everything. This is the bulwark to everything that we believe. The changeless value in a changing world of the risen life of Jesus. There's people all over this world we've been saying today, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed.